Hello everyone, this is John Frangella, and my podcast is all about business and manufacturing. Everything to do with advanced manufacturing, AI, machine learning, investments, crowdfunding, cybersecurity, education, entrepreneurship, finance, and uh, human resources. And the list goes on. Hope you enjoy, and looking forward to your comments. Hello everyone, John here. And uh, got a wonderful lady, Jennifer Shelton. A um, little background of uh, Jennifer. Uh, she graduated at Dean's List from MBA program at Rotman School of Management. And, and she holds an, a, a master's in education in workplace learning and change from OISE at the University of Toronto. Uh, basically a poet at... Uh, uh, MBA school, the capitalist of, at the educational facility, the arts graduate in the IT industry, Microsoft, Motorola Solutions, and the business person in politics. Uh, most recently, uh, been in the business lead at quantum computing startup. Uh, her path has been a little unorthodox, and uh, lo- love to hear her perspective on on what has been going on in the last few years. <laughs> so, Jennifer, uh, love to get right into it and hear your thoughts on 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 uh, you know, you know your company and uh, what your you know what your passions are. Sure, absolutely. Well, um, the the company that I'm a founder and an advisor on um, uh, is Q Spice Labs, but uh, has recently undergone a bit of a, a branding change to Aurora Quantum Technologies, and that company is involved in um, basically being the the quantum engineering company uh, in the hardware space. So towards a long-term vision of a, a, a full, full quantum computer, but in the meantime, building hardware components that will help secure the quantum internet. So it's, it's, it's quite exciting. So, so for those who don't know what quantum computing is, uh, give us a little bit of a basic um, of what it is and, and why are people working on this and why are you guys working on it? What's, what's um, you know, why? What is, what is quantum computing? Well, you know, I can I can give you the the definition that's been given by uh, you know cleverer folks than I am at uh, at Gartner, but it's a, it's a type of non classical computing. It's based on the quantum state of subatomic particles. Um, instead of using binary bits that that go just from zero to one, you know, true or false, it um, qubits, quantum bits, um, can represent one or zero at the same time in a in a superposition, right? Right. So um, they work together. Um, usually you have two qubits working together in a state called entanglement. And this allows for much greater quantum computing or much greater computing power than a classical computer would have. So there are certain algorithms which quantum computers are particularly uh, adept at. Uh, they include algorithms like the mathematicians among you might know, uh, Grover's algorithm and Shor's algorithm, and those are, um, I, my understanding is that those are used particularly in optimization problems. Um, you know, one can be used, uh, I believe, in cryptography. So what this allows is to solve much more uh, complex problems than a classical computer would be able to solve. So, you know, the traveling salesperson problem all the way up to the um, you know, molecular folding and, and uh, genetics problems. 
So it's of interest to folks in the um, logistics industry for automated trucking, for example, as well as folks in pharmaceuticals who are looking for, I guess, bespoke and customized approaches to uh, very serious ailments. I see. So it's very, very high, high volume data analytics, and that that the human can take, you know, months and months of, uh, you know crunching where the, where the quantum computing could actually do it in, in let's say, a day or, or, or hours? Yeah. Um, problems that would take years for a classical computer to solve will not take long at all for a quantum computer to solve. There's some great, you know, just be, I, I have to be careful for your listeners. I am a business lead. I am not a technologist. Yes, but if course. you're looking for really valuable resources on quantum computing, there's um, a great set of videos on YouTube from Talia Gershon at uh, IBM, who takes through various explanations depending on your level of, uh, of understanding in the subject, which is very valuable. There's a book that uh, was given to me called Quantum Computer Science by David Merman, Mm-hmm. And uh, that was very helpful to get me to understand some of the basics of quantum computing. And there is another one which I really liked called Quantum Computing Since Democritus, which was written by Scott Aronson, who's considered kind of one of the fathers of quantum computing. So if your listeners are interested, I would encourage them to, uh, to take a look at those resources and, and, uh, and learn for themselves. Yeah, and, and then uh, please send send me those uh, those links or those books, and I'll I'll be able to put it in the in the uh, episode footer. So um, um, so our listeners will be able to, if they're interested, they'll be able to have a, a reference to go to. So that's that's great. So so um, how how did you get how did you get started? Uh, take me through it. Well, that was that was a pretty interesting in and of itself. I had just finished. Um, doing some contract work for my, my local MP, who is a, a friend of mine, and, um, and uh, I had helped her set up her office as, uh, after she got elected. And um, once I was free, I got a, a note from, from my university, the University of Toronto, the Rotman School of Management, saying, we're starting this interesting new program at the Creative Destruction Lab, our, our incubator at the University of Toronto. Would you be interested in the quantum machine learning inaugural program, um, the very first program? We're going to try to match MBA graduates, business school people, um, with leaders in quantum computing science and machine learning. And I think I got this maybe the, 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 the day after my last day at the, uh, the constituency office, and I thought, well, this sounds very interesting. I already had a background in uh, computing and IT. And I thought, this sounds like an excellent career adventure, so I was all for it. So I went down there uh, for, uh, I think, about a month and a half, taking some courses on quantum computing and machine learning, a very, very much an overview course for, for, for me. It went deeper for the folks who are actually experts in the field and got to, got, got to know some of the, the foremost experts from all over the world, from uh, the United States, from Russia. I think there were some some folks from, from Europe, from Britain as well, who were interested in starting companies. And over time, you know, you, you get to know who you, you have the most, I guess, uh, fit and alignment with. And uh, uh, there were a couple of people there that, uh, that I met, and we decided to start a company based on some of their ideas, which I thought had some pretty good legs. Wow. Wow. Yeah, I mean, you know, Toronto uh, is basically leading the machine learning. I think there was one gentleman that 
that goes back, uh, you know, I think of many years ago that was actually one of the pioneers. I can't remember his name, but I was at a conference and he was there and he was showing about machine learning and and uh, it was one of the first. So Toronto's leading this. Is is that is that uh, is that about right? Is that uh, is that the, the... It's, becoming, it's definitely becoming, I think, a center of gravity. The fellow who wrote the book on quantum machine learning, used uh, his name is Peter Wittick. He was one of the facilitators at this program. And at the time, he was based out of Barcelona. He was working at the University of Barcelona. Um, after his involvement in the, the first cohort of this program, he decided to come to Toronto. So now he, he uh, works out of Toronto and he works for the University of Toronto. And he's the guy, he is literally the guy who wrote the book on quantum machine learning. So we're definitely, I think, becoming a center, center of gravity in that respect. Wow. Oh, um... So, so which industry is leading this right now that's actually using uh, machine learning a uh, lot more than the other industries which are kind of sl- starting their investigative you know, uh, you know, discovery stage? There's always a, a leading industry that's actually using machine learning uh, at its full potential, seeing you know, you know, massive amounts of, uh, of efficiencies with, with the information. Which industry is working right now that is actually um, uh, really, you know, taking off on this on this on this journey well my my experience is largely with the quantum machine learning piece so i can i can speak with the most confidence in that in that area but um i know that the the applications that we kept seeing over and over again with with quantum machine learning had to do with healthcare and pharmaceuticals right there was one uh, company called neuroessence that has to, had to do with the brain and machine learning. Right. Um, trying to build some some quantum computing, um, uh, 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 I guess, compa- capacities or competencies to help um, neurological work. Uh, there was another one that uh, was doing very well, and I think is still doing very well out of the program called Protein Cure, and that was, uh, <coughs> pardon me, applications for the pharmaceutical environment. So there's a number um, there's a number of healthcare applications. Beyond that, I think other applications that we saw was particularly with financial services, um, how to um, understand, I guess, uh, equity pricing and equity pricing movements and, and, and you know, what, what the fluctuations were likely to be and have a little bit more predictability, I think. That was one fellow who, I think his, uh, his, his startup was called Everetian. So... From our perspective in the, the hardware space, because all of these other plays were software, um, where we saw the application was in uh, actually machine learning in building the quantum computers themselves, if, if uh, that makes any sense, as well as uh, you know machine learning um, applications, quantum machine learning applications potentially for, um, I guess, logistics you know, third-party logistics. Right, right. Um, your consulting practice is phantom insight management. Um, so basically specializing in strategic, strategic planning, market analysis, competitive intelligence for the IT sector. Uh, tell me a bit more about it. What's, how long has it been, been in, 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 uh, in uh, conception and, and um, how, how, um, what kind of projects are, are in, being involved right now? 
working in that capacity for uh, about a decade. And most of the work that I tend to do tends to be uh, market analysis, market sizing, market forecasts, as well as competitive uh, analysis and competitive intelligence. I've also done some group facilitation work. Um, so this, this is usually the kind of work you do when you're um, either starting a company or uh, potentially launching a product or you know, ideating about a, a product that you want to go forward with, right? So you have to understand the size of the potential market, what the, uh, what the trends are, you know, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. We all know those, as well as you know, political, economic, social, and techn technological um, trends that are going on in the space, um, as well as, as competitive analysis of who your key competitors might be. And that's usually where I, I, I do some research and, and interview you know, various folks uh, in the area to see um, what the... Uh, uh, what the um, competitor is doing and, and where they are and what their plans are and, and what their immediate ecosystem and stakeholders think about them. Right, right. And um, that's, that's uh, I mean, there's a lot of information regarding uh, a lot of, uh, but so, so, so the, the challenges are, are what? Like what are some of the challenges that you're, you're discovering in, 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 in this process? Well, um, I've, had, I've had clients that are private sector, and I've had clients that are, are public sector. Right. And one public sector client I had was concerned about small and medium business in Canada and the level of IT adoption, because historically, Canada has lagged behind the U.S. by about 12 to 18 months in terms of IT adoption. Um, there's also other factors that play into that. For example, you know, the, the high price we pay for connectivity in Canada relative to the rest of the world. Um, and uh, so that was, that was one of the, the, the uh, projects I did for them. And I, I interviewed a lot of small and medium uh, businesses to see how they, um, how they used IT and uh, what their priorities were and, and who was, was, was uh, the buyer or the procurer in these, uh, in these environments. And I also did some benchmarking of Canada versus other countries in, um, you know, the pricing we, the price we were paying on certain things um, and the use of certain types of technologies, which um, at that time were not heavily used, for example, you know, cloud technologies. Right, right. So you, so you got the business running and now, like, when you first started, you know these are for for more of the entrepreneurs, uh, listeners. Uh, did you ever create like a like a business plan before you started, or was it just more like, you know, I've heard stories people did business plans. Some some other companies didn't really have a business plan; they, they just went and did it. Right? What you know? Did you ever start with a business plan? Like when you first started to plan out where you're going, or was it more like just get in the field and get it done? on the circumstances, and this is what I would advise your listeners. If you are dealing with a market that is mature, right, it's a market that exists and you are a new player and maybe you have a slightly new spin on something, it's better to have a full business plan, right, because there are things that you can prove and there are things that you can guess and there are things that you know, right? You know how many players are already in the game. You know approximately how big uh, the market is. 
you know approximately how much your bill of materials is going to cost you to build the thing. So there's really not an excuse not to have a business plan, and many angel investors, uh, even at the angel level, will expect it, right? You'll, you'll have to know, you know uh, what your, your time to payback is going to be. If you are dealing with a market that is very, very new, like quantum, the rules are a little bit looser because no one will believe you if you start being too exact, right? Right, right. right. So I had the opposite problem there, right? I was trying to create bills of materials, you know, um, uh, and and uh, uh, approximations of the market, and... Um, the angels were like, well, if this doesn't exist, how do you know this to be true? And I would have to honestly say to them, this, this is a guesstimate, right? And they said, well, you know, be more approximate because, um, because we know this is new and, and you don't have to go that deep. So my suggestion would be, you know, be, be fairly forthright um, in this sort of situation where you're dealing with a completely new, new market about what your, I guess, range your range of um, opportunity might be, yeah. rather than trying to get down to uh, too much to the brass tacks, because it will be very much a guess at that point, and it will almost be indefensible. Right, right, yeah. Um, the so is there is there demographics? Is there areas, uh, territories that or countries that you do not? Basically, U.S. and Canada would be your. The, the, the actual um, uh, area of, uh, of assistance. What is there other countries that you find that they're reaching out to you and, and it's like, I can't really help them because of language or time? Anything that, that you can share there? Uh, I, I have had folks um, reach out to, to me from, uh, from China and I don't know that I could really um, help in that respect. Um, I, I'm okay, as you say, that there's a, there's a language barrier that unfortunately I'm not able to, uh, to break. You know, I speak, you know, English is my main language, and I have some facility in French and a very little facility in, in Spanish, but no others. So I can work with English language organizations, um, but primarily Canada and the U.S., because that's my understanding of the market is best there, and especially when you talk about rules related to um, rules related to market research because there are different research, different rules around privacy, for example, in Europe and so forth, mm -hmm. that uh, I would prefer to stay within a patch that I know well. Right, right. I have a bunch of random questions, so I'm going to be jumping all over the place, <laughs> so bear with me. <laughs> Growing up, who are your heroes? I love to always, I always ask that question to, uh, to the people. Oh, I speak. wow. <laughs> uh, gosh. Gosh. Uh, I think... It was part, partly the, the time when when I grew up. Um, uh, I always respected, um, I guess, Terry Fox. Mm -hmm. He was a childhood hero, right? And I don't know uh, if all your listeners are Canadian, but um, for Canadians, he's a very special person. Yeah. And um, I guess in terms of when I came of age, I think Nelson Mandela was uh, a hero of mine. And I, I realize none of those are technology people. <laughs> well, it doesn't have to be, right? It's just, it's awesome, um, right? Yeah, yeah, of course. Of course. Hey, you know, it's funny with mine, with, with mine, it was James Bond. And I always liked those gadgets. And it's funny that I'm in the industry oh. of, making, of making gadgets, right? I'm making devices for, for companies. It was just, it was funny that I, 
I mean, I didn't start off with this. I was in the food industry before, but I ended up, you know, going to exactly where I was supposed to be is, is, is you know, you know, because I, I always thought, you know, this is amazing how James Bond can come up with, you know, these devices that can, can, could be very useful to save his life and stuff. So I found that was very, and that was my, my hero growing up and oh, yeah. others. So it was you and everything. <laughs> so you become human other person. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I, my influence in that respect was uh, what I grew up with, lots and lots of reruns of Star Trek. Yes. So I'm very much a Trekkie. I, I'm not a Star Wars person. I'm very much a Trekkie because I felt that was more, that was more about the technology and um, then about a lot of the, the fantasy pieces that was in Star Wars. Right. But uh, I love Star Trek, and uh, it was great to see Uhura on the bridge. Right, one of the women, first women you'd see on the on the on the bridge in some of these yeah. some of these shows. Yeah. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, I, I would love to be on, the, on on that ship one day. That would that, that would be a, a fascinating time to be on something that can go into outer space. That would be a, an, another bucket list of mine but i don't know if that's even possible but you never know um so so you're you're you've got a lot going on and like what what tools because i'm always about productivity right i love uh, ways to find you know shave off hours in a day or minutes in a day to to give you that time to to be able to you know to be able to plan What, what are some of the tools you use uh or methods you use to to be able to stay stay on on your on your game or be able to focus on on the task at hand because there's so much distractions that we have in our lives and that that you know there's always noise and we how do you stop that noise from from filtering into your into your productivity in a, in a day because you know you you got lots happening and and it's like you know I'm always interested of what others do on a on a daily basis hourly basis what tools they use to to make sure that their goals are, um, you know, uh, uh, on, on top of things. Oh, when you get the answer to that, you should tell me. <laughs> no, um, <laughs> it's 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 funny, you know. It's um, there are there are there are things that you realize when you when you um, get to a certain point in your career, and things that work for you. And I remember for the longest time, people wanted me to take notes on my computer all the time. You know, it was, and I just, I just, for some reason, I, uh, it, it didn't really work for me. Um, whereas later I saw some research that had been published that said that, that taking notes longhand on paper, with paper and pen is actually better for your memory. And I, I have to say, at the, at the risk of sounding like a Luddite, <laughs> I am one of those people who, people who has a lot of notebooks, right? So... I just find the tactile nature of being able to um, write the write my notes with pen and um, being able to refer to it in a notebook. It's much easier for me to remember than when I've, I've used other tools. You know, I, I use OneNote and I used um, uh, what's the other one? I can't remember the name of it. Um, Evernote. Thank you, mm-hmm. uh, Evernote for uh, for some note taking. But for things that I really have to remember, I like to write it longhand in notebooks. So I'm, I'm a big fan of moleskin notebooks, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> which is great. Right. I also do. Um, I do believe that, and this is outside of talking about tools. Um, I've come to the conclusion that uh, 
sleep is one of those things that we really underrate as a society. And I think one of the best things you can do for your productivity, frankly, is to make sure that you get enough sleep. Yes, I, I'm a big fanatic of, of, of sleep. I think uh, sleep and, uh, and nutrition and um, and uh, uh, time management tools, because <laughs> I, I like to, you know, I have that disease called, uh, it's called FOMO, fear of missing out. So I've got yes. that. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah, so I think, um, I, I think that's good. I think, um, I guess, Parsing out how many times you're going to look at your email in a day is a good thing, too. Mm -hmm. I don't always have it up. And there was a great uh, quote I think I read recently where they said that basically your email inbox is somebody else's to-do list for you. (laughs) Um, And if you're just constantly responding all the time, you're you're allowing other people to set your agenda. Yeah, good point. Make make it a tool for you instead of against you. So I've, I've started to close my email inbox, you know, at certain times and um, try to be fully present in whatever I'm doing, whether I'm on the phone with someone like yourself or whether I'm, I'm meeting, you know, the, 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 uh, the uh, mobile phone goes away. Um, it's just trying to be more fully present, present in whatever I'm doing. I think, um, kind of eliminate some of the the constant noise that we get you know when you're having a conversation if you've got your phone out it pings and pings and you think you want to look at it and so forth um and if you're working on something on the on the phone you're 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 half attending and 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 working on something else at the same time so i think just almost stepping a little bit away from the multitasking so you can be fully present. Whatever you're doing actually makes you more efficient in the long run. So, do you think one day machine learning could could be that solution for, you know, for uh, owners, startups, business leaders um, that can say, you know what, don't think about it. I'll tell you. I know your goals. You've entered our go- your goals into our into my brain. <laughs> I'm going to tell you yeah. what you need to do, and you just go do it, and then stop analyzing. So sometimes you read it, you absorb, you ponder, and then you do it. Well, you know, why not have something else? Just do the thinking for you, and then just end up just doing it instead of just reading and analyzing instead, right? I don't know. It'd be great to have an AI agent in your mailbox, right? Because yeah. some of these things are, are clearly sort of asked, and you can say, you know, uh, one of the ones that you constantly get if you're a parent, right, is, you know, confirm your dental appointment for this Friday, confirm your such and such, give the money for the blah, blah, blah trip for school. Right. And if there were an AI agent that could just go through all of these things, give you all the to-do list, and clear them out of your mailbox. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be great. That'd be revolutionary, right? <laughs> Oh my God! Yeah, it's um, so. So, where do you get your best ideas? You know, you know when you, you know when you're in that zone and when you go, you know, I'm, I'm having trouble with this thing, this this challenge, let's say, and you want to find a way to, um, you you just can't solve it. But then there's a certain time that you just say, okay, so your ideas would come more fluid. When do you get your best idea? What's what's your process? Shower, right? But yeah. no. Um, <laughs> um, 
I, I think it's interesting. It's interesting you say that because it's it's almost when you step away and do something else. Um, there was that that story, and I wish I could remember it now, of that uh, that scientist who was trying to solve the mystery of a particular type of disease, and he actually um, couldn't. He was you know very sleepless, and finally he he it came to him in a dream. Um, but I think having having um, creative outlets outside of outside of your day to day actually frees up your creativity so that you can you can step away and um, oftentimes the, the 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 path becomes clear. When I've had kind of murky situations where I've had to think about how I'm going to respond to them in a productive way um, that would also, you know, maintain relationships with various stakeholders. It's generally not when I'm sitting in front of the computer, you know, waiting for inspiration to come that I, that I think of exactly how I need to, to approach it. It's usually when, frankly, usually when I'm having a walk, a walk outside or, when I am engaged in some other activity like uh, making dinner where you sort of think it through um, in almost a meditative way, right? right. Um, so I would, I would suggest, you know, some people swear by, I've got some friends who swear by improv, by taking improv classes. Right. So I'll just put the plug in for that. Um, who's, who say that the ability to come up with creative solutions on the spot is enhanced by uh, improvisational techniques. Um, but it, it depends on the person. Not everyone has the, the kind of personality that works for. But for, for me, it's kind of, it, it's more another activity, whether it's, it's walking or making something or doing something different, that I will get some of, some of my best ideas. Hmm. Do you meditate? Is that, is that part of your, your daily thing, uh, meditation? Oh, I've, I've tried to do a little bit of that. I don't think I do it correctly like everybody says you should. <laughs> right, right. Um, I, I think I have my own sort of um, process for getting into the zone when I'm walking, just thinking about things, um, going over things in my mind. But uh, other people swear by, uh, what do they call it? Is it guided meditation? Guided meditation. There's apps for that too. Right. Um, that you can use. That those the, the, the guided meditation tends to make me fall asleep. <laughs> Um, right. But doing something sort of, you know, that has a sort of a, a creative element and maybe a little bit of repetition tends to work for me as well. So, so what are you curious about right now? What are some of the things that you're saying, oh, God, I, I'm really, I really want to know what, like, the curiosity is, you know, what is something that's happening right now that, it, that you're very curious about? quantum computing is going to turn out, obviously. <laughs> um, it has implications for security right. um, uh, because quantum computers will be able to break existing security on public key encryption. Mm -hmm. um, so solving for that was one of the um, main objectives of our startup, providing a hardware solution to that. I am curious and interested to know how things are going to turn out for Canada in the space of IT, um, I really think that we're starting to um, gravitate towards being a very software-focused nation, mm -hmm. and I would like to see us become 
more of a hardware provider. I understand that there's a lot of money in software, but there's a lot of uh, a lot of opportunity in owning the platform as well. Right. 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 Um, so I think you know, seeing more manufacturing of really, really, really high-end components, uh, the, the the stuff they can't necessarily do in um, you know overseas. The, the yeah. Um, stuff that can be done with uh, a, a, a lot of quality um, and a lot of innovation. I would like to see that here, and I really, I would really wish that we could get there. Right. So you win the six forty nine. You got hundred million dollars. Would you still be doing what you're doing? <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. I would put, I would put a good chunk of money. It costs a lot of money to build a quantum computer. Yeah, yeah. I would. Uh, you need a dilution refrigerator, which costs a half a million dollars, because it needs to go. What is it? A hundred times colder than space. Right. The scientists told me. So yeah, I'd definitely be doing what I'm doing, and I would fund more hardware. I think um, I think there were some hardware startups that I saw that were uh, they had really great ideas, and I think the ideas had legs, but there just um, there just wasn't the understanding for for hardware um, in the in. The, the local community that uh, we needed to have in order to be able to give those folks a, an opportunity as well. So I would uh, definitely be investing in some of my um, my nanobot um, my nanobot focused startup friends. Oh, nanobots! What, what, what was that about? Oh, one of one of the uh, the entrepreneurs in the quantum machine learning program had this great idea to use machine learning mm-hmm. to coordinate. Um, nanobots, robots, to work in very hard, to work together in very harsh environments. Okay. So, like um, the Arctic, like you know, drilling fields and uh, Mars, for example. Right. And um, I thought it had unique, potentially unique applications for uh, uh, for disaster zones, particularly if if you know uh, climate change is going to be worse and worse or an ongoing concern. Um, having the idea of, of uh, coordinated robots, like a swarm coordinated through quantum machine learning, mm-hmm. could be useful. Would, 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 uh, would those quantum, um, would, would those nanobots be useful in tornadoes? Like I've seen, I've seen this, you know, there was a movie that I watched and uh, I can't remember what it was called, but they threw these little, little, little uh, units, there's like tens of thousands, and they, and they ended up going into a tornado, and they were able to read the tornadoes. Would something more locally to practice to, to get this, the, you know, down pat before you, they go and send it to, you know, different, different planets, is that something that's being done right now? Um, I think she's, I could actually refer you to her, and she could be another mm-hmm. one of your podcasts. Sure. Um, she uh, she's right now trying to get some sort of pilot project just done in agriculture, just to say we could do it in a regular environment, right, right, um, and perhaps in, even in golf courses. But um, I know that uh, that her she had very very audacious goals with respect to what could be done with the the the, the robots in the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would be interesting. I, I'd love to chat with her because robots are you know robot software. These are all things that are that are that should be a closed ecosystem even more and have regular meetings to, to, uh, to get things uh, more, uh, you know, more improved all the time and improve the, the process and get, and get uh, real case studies to, 
to get the investors excited so, so they can see that there is a, there's many, many lights at the end of the tunnel, not just one, right? Um, yeah, and I think, I think too, what we, what we need to do as people who like hardware and manufacturing in Canada, um, I think there needs to be a little bit more education of the angel investor community because I think many of them are very accustomed to the, um, the, life, the life cycle and the product roadmap for an app or software product, mm-hmm. but they're less confident with with hardware proposals. We had, a, you know, a number of folks say, I really like your idea, but I, I don't have the expertise to evaluate it. So it, I think maybe, you know, some of the folks in the more advanced manufacturing sector getting involved with these angel investors and saying, look, you know, if you need some advisors of who can tell you what, what kind of idea has legs and what won't work, Let's let's do this so that we can really bring up the opportunities in Canada. Yeah, so so there's a lack of invest, investors' knowledge of hardware and software. There's a lack of skilled trades people that really understand and really. I mean, they're learning, but they're not at the level of uh, that they become gurus themselves to really you know push forward the passions of of advancements in in you know. Uh, fifth level, not just, you know, the beginning of what advanced manufacturing or technology, you know, has to offer to really go in there as a pioneer, as a scientist. And, and I think there's, there's a lot, I mean, there are really, there's, you know, there are a lot of leaders, but we need a lot more because it, it, oh, yeah. it yeah, it's, uh, I've seen that from skilled trade, from investments, from, from even business leaders themselves that run these these companies don't really are too busy with the financial side and the, and the business operations. Whether they might be missing out opportunities in in yeah. you know in, in in quantum leaps in in their own business by 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 you know taking chances, risking a, a little bit of a, a certain part of their business that says this is going to help me grow. Uh, you know, leaps and bounds, and and because they're just so busy with, with it every day that they're not taking leaving their business to to open up their minds and in, in, in understanding. Yeah, yeah it's uh... everybody understands the consumer, and everybody a lot of people understand software, mm-hmm. but understanding B two B and understanding hardware is a bit of a stretch for for um, some of our, our our investors, even if they they mean well and they love to to invest, right? So you have. Um, you know, the, the conundrum of, you know, the idea of Canada becoming the expert in what I'll call, for lack of a better word, the cupcake app, right? You know, the app, the mobile app that can find you the nearest cupcake store. Right. But um, right. not being able to, not being able to uh, feel confident investing in, in, in quantum computing because they don't know somebody who can advise them, right? Right, right. If you could send a message to yourself 10 to 20 years ago, what would your younger self tell yourself now <laughs> or, or, uh, oh, well, my old self tell me then, um, yeah. that, that, uh, that, uh, IT was the right way to go. Oh. <laughs> right. Um, you know, at the time I had people advising me in other directions. Right. Um, and I'd taken, I'd taken computer science in high school. Right. And, uh, even though I have an arts degree in my undergrad, I, I always liked computers and I had a Apple two plus my first computer at home. Right. Um, and I learned to program in BASIC. So I, I uh, got into uh, uh, computer training sales. Everyone gets into sales after school, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, I was debating on what to do. I, I did my MBA. Um, but, you know, there were some folks who said, oh, you should just, you know, um, go work for the phone company or something. 
And um, I thought, no, I, I think I want to be, I think I want to be closer to where the action is. And uh, I'm glad it turned out <laughs> that it was the right place to be. Right, right. Well, you know, I mean, it, it, to solve a really big problem, you do have to have different, um, different um, uh, skill sets or viewpoints from business, but also from the from the scientific approach and, and the technical approach, and and then there's the human por uh, the human uh, por portion of the of the the equation. So I think just having one one degree is, is to have multiple. You get to see a, a, a three dimensional view of of what the world really needs from a from a from a high level standpoint. And uh, I think data is, there's there's a lot of data, but I think data with 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 a with a, uh, a, a final result is I think that's the you know, uh, you know, of course, you have to analyze it and make sure that it's not just you know, it's, it's an equation. It's also that it fits in, in the human in the human race, I guess, that, you know, the question is, right, yeah. uh, that, depending on what you're doing and from the application standpoint. Um, but, uh, yeah, there's, uh, you know, one thing about our, you know, where we're at, you know, within our lives is that technology, business and, and, and the software, hardware, it's ever changing and it's, it's exciting times. It's uh and you, you know, it's every day is not a boring day, I guess, as they say, right? So, and it's, and it's when I you made me think about twenty years ago, right? It's it's truly, really tremendously changed. Like there are some some things that I think about from from twenty years ago and now that are really different. So, for example, I guess the the, the assumption is that there is always first mover advantage. That was the the assumption, but when I look at it. Oftentimes, it really wasn't the first mover that got the the advantage, um, initially at least. So, yeah. when I started, um, I, I was working for a, an Apple Macintosh reseller in the mid '90s, and that was about the time that the Newton came out. I don't know if you remember the Newton. Yeah. It was um, yeah. a very small handheld device, and it could recognize handwriting a little bit, um, and it went nowhere. It went nowhere. Um, but it was the it was the first kind of handheld, almost smart device. But it wasn't the right time, so it's not always about being first to market. It's being first to market when the market is ready. You know what I mean? Right, right. So that that's a key piece of learning. The same happened with tablets. There was tablets, I think, in two thousand from Toshiba, and they didn't really go anywhere until Apple introduced one called the iPad, which was much more geared towards what people wanted and what they were ready for, where the apps were. And even when I think of the buying process from 20 years ago versus today, um, you know, 20, 20 years ago, I think uh, a lot of times IT was wrapped under um, the CFO, right? Um, because finance had a lot to do with uh, IT because of the accounting systems, right? Right, right. So... There, there, there was a there was an IT organization. Eventually, got to be a, there got to be a CIO who, who grew in a certain amount of, you know, power and control over the space. But then you saw a whole, I guess, transition of the procurement process and the and the buying process go to the line of business because of rogue IT. Right, um, lines of business like the marketing folks wanted to have certain. Uh, capacities and, and capabilities built into the IT that in, in a number of cases, the IT organizations didn't have the capacity to support or I guess the understanding of the, 
the business to be able to contribute to. So now lines of business, you know, like marketing and so forth, are, are developing their own, um, I guess, IT competencies and uh, standalone apps and products and, and uh, uh, entire kind of um, systems, I would suppose, CRM and, and cloud-based systems. I think that also had to do with, with uh, the emergence of um, retail online, right, and, and, uh, and online purchasing. Right. Well, cloud. I mean, yeah. is, is cloud is cloud safe? Is is it? Many of my uh, my listeners always question, is like, okay, well, do I keep? Do I buy a server? Do I store it on the on locally, or do I put it on the cloud? And someone has my data. Is is this ever going to? Is cloud going to change, or do you think it's here to stay? Like, since you're in the you know have a vast experience in IT, it's definitely here to stay. But your listeners need to to think about the kind of information. They have and develop some sort of um, information policy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not a security expert. You'd have to talk to somebody who's, you know, CISSP certified or CISM certified. There's a number of certifications in the security space. But my understanding is that you generally try to uh, categorize the data you have and then um, it sort of a assign sort of safety zones for that that data and, and recognize that I don't know all the terminology because I'm not certified no. in that space. But you have to say, this is the kind of data we're willing to let go on the cloud, mm-hmm. um, and this is the kind of data that can never go on the cloud. And you have to be able to, you know, perform audits when you're, oper- when you're trying to um, consider or evaluate a new service. Right. You know, who is, who is the vendor? What kind of information from you are they going to have? Are they going to have your customers' private information? What kind of damage could it do? You have to do almost like a risk management um, audit of, of what kind of information it can safely go to certain spaces and what can't. That might mean that you can offer certain things on the cloud and other things you better not, right? Right. Well, I always have that I always have that fear of putting our accounting accounting information like going going to accounting and an accounting online service versus a local uh, I always have that kind of worries. Well, it's, you know, it's easier. It's on the cloud, and you have full full flexibility from remote workers, and and you know, like a snowstorm like we're having today. It's nice to be yeah. able to to be create invoices from home. But then there's the other thing is that, you know the information is being is on the is 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 out in the world, and and you know people have this have this information that can be. I don't know. I'm always have that. That's what's kind of keeping me sleep, you know, sleeping, not sleeping at night, right? So, yeah, it, it also depends on who your customers are too, what they're comfortable with. Yeah. So, for example, there are some some customers um, uh, who may say, you know, I'm sorry, but we have certain regulations regarding our our uh, business where we cannot allow um, our information to be on servers outside of Canada, right? Right, right, um, right. So if that's the case, then you better make sure that whatever service you're using, the, the information will not be domiciled on servers outside of Canada. Right, right. right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, if it's possible, it would be nice to have that, let's say the accounting program is split in five pieces. If you could take two pieces, put that in the cloud, but then everything else is locally, if, if that could work, that would be that would be ideal. But I don't know if that's possible, but... <laughs> Uh, solutions, which I think, you know, 
there's a gradation of things to the cloud. There can be everything in the cloud, certain things in the cloud, and then sort of these half-and-half half solutions. But I think the only way that you get to see that kind of that kind of arrangement is if you're an enterprise-level customer where you say you simply tell your provider, I'm sorry, we're not going to put that on the cloud. You will give us this and this, but these other things we will have on our, our data center at the end, right? Right, right. Yeah, it's something I have to look into for. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure. Not, I'm not the only one with this. Uh, this concern. Um, you know, there's. Uh, you know, with this Facebook thing, I, I've heard it was like they're selling information. That was like that was kind of a little bit of, uh, little. Uh, you know, not I, when I heard that, I was not very happy. It says, well, yeah. why are they selling your information? Like, well, what's it just it just you know it's, it's it, there should be some kind of controls there but again it's uh beyond our our powers of uh yeah you know. Both my pagans. yeah exactly <laughs> jennifer thank you so much um you You're know for, for for our chat and uh you know I'd love to have you again and uh, we we can dive into deeper dives at other other topics again thank you so much and uh you know appreciate your time Thank you so much, John. Thanks, everybody. All right. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.